Gun chest uncut, yeah you know that's us Where we only speak the real and the real rock with us Where we motivate the people and the politic on success Oh no we ain't DJ Khaled but they swear we the best Gun chest What's happening? It's Contrast Uncut. It's season four. This is my Spotlight New Year's Day episode. You know, this is my LA original edition. I want to give a big shout out to Uncle Snoop's Army and Bobby D Presents. It's your host, Zylo, aka DJ Juan. Dollars like I won some money. Today, we got a legendary, you know, one of them real, real incredibly dope special guests. He's from the City of Angels, Los Angeles. He's born in Santa Monica to be exact. With over 25 years in the game, he puts authentic into the word authenticity. He's the world renowned and internationally celebrated photographer, director, and urban lifestyle entrepreneur. As Uncle Snoop said, and I quote, if you ain't get shot by Estevan, you got shot by a weak photographer. As a director and the film and starred in the Netflix documentary, LA Originals, when it comes to directing music videos, his brothers, you know, worked with the goats from Blink-182 to Uncle Snoop to Eminem to Cypress Hill. This brother's been a tour manager for Cypress Hill to House of Pain. I mean, this brother's put in so much work that you, he gets the, the quality that deserves his goat. And, you know, from there to the photography, he's had exclusive, exclusive opportunities where no cameras could be. And he documented so much and he understood the value of Every picture's worth a million to a billion words. It's up to you to dissect it and absorb it. And I mean, it just goes on and on from this brother's history of photography from Al Pacino to Robert De Niro to Kim Kardashian to Kanye West to Floyd Mayweather to Nipsey, rest in peace, to Kendrick, to Meek Mills, to so many more. His work has been in the Smithsonian Center for Latino Initiatives to Mesa Contemporary for Latino Initiatives or Mesa Contemporary Arts Center, Persons Automotive Museum, to the Los Angeles Arts in the Streets exhibit. I mean, the brother's done so much to these books that are in front of me. And you know, every page, like I said, tells a billion words to each picture. And it's up to you to enjoy it. He put, you know, where culture meets what you need to see. What the, what the game is missing, this brother was feeling. And you know, if you don't know who I got on the show by now, it's all good. You know, we got the brilliant mind behind so much that's in this room and so much of what we see from day to day that he trendsetted it and put the originality into it. You know, you wouldn't get this without this brother capturing it. And he's the original. And if you ain't, like I said, I got the L.A. original himself, Estevan Oriada. How you doing, OG? Good, brother. How you doing? I can't complain, bro. You know, you got so much history that I wish I could put so much more into it. Yeah. But if I did, then it would be a point of not having the interview because we got to go through that journey. Yeah. How you doing, bro? So, I mean, uh, time's the most finite thing we have on this earth. And I got to let you know from the jump, I appreciate your time. I appreciate you for fucking with me, fucking with the viewers. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you, homie. Yeah. Speaking of time, what's the normal 24 hours for you? Uh, 24 hours for me is I start probably around uh, 730 and I get up and uh, we have a, a little group every morning that we call it Sana Boys. 
and I have a sauna in my house, like a six-person barrel sauna, and uh, anywhere from two to seven, six or seven of us go in there every morning. And during the summer, the routine is uh, 20 minutes in the sauna, three minutes in the ice, 20 minutes in the sauna, three in the ice, 23. So we're in the sauna a total of an hour, and we're in the ice for nine minutes altogether. But um, during the winter, like now, uh, we just go in the pool, because I got a pool too right there by the sauna. So the pool gets to be about 30 degrees, and we go rain or shine every day. And uh, that's how we start the day. We, we wake up like that, and in between those sets of ice and sauna, we, we hit the weights or hit the, I got a speed bag or a heavy bag. And we go at that every morning and get out of there probably around uh, 11 o'clock, 10, 30, 11. And we shoot over to the warehouse where I do my merch and ship orders out of there. That's in um, like Burbank, North Hollywood. And then after that, we shoot over here to Boyle Heights work out of here until probably 8 to sometimes 2 in the morning Ooh. and um, that's pretty much a day right there and then sleep you know either from 3 to 7.30 or 12 to 7.30 you know. Damn and then it's wake up and repeat. Yep exactly. You know a lot I ask that question because a lot of people don't understand what does it take to make it? What do you have to do for your body to be right? What do you have to put in your mind? What meetings do you have to do? What things do you have to think about so that you can be successful and progress day in, day out? Um, for me, uh, you know, the healthy thing has is, is been because of medical conditions. I, I have uh, a few different medical conditions and one of them was, uh, I have this thing called neuropathy where my feet are, my feet and legs are numb and tingly a lot. So there's a, I have bad circulation, so mm. I get these like cuts or whatever on my feet, then um, I don't really notice it and it turns into an infection and then the last time they wanted to cut, uh, cut my foot off and they're like, you know, something has to change and what it was was I had to change the way I do everything pretty much, but most of it was uh, the way I eat. So. I was telling them, you know, what's what's the one, like, they go, you got one more shot before we do the chop. And that was uh, no sugar, no carbs, no dairy. And I already have another existing uh, disease or whatever, it's called gout, and I can't eat uh, meat or drink alcohol. So I'd already gotten rid of the drinking, the meat, and then it was like, no sugar, no carbs, no dairy. I'm half Italian, half Mexican, so there goes pizza, pasta, tacos, tortas, burritos, you know, all that shit. So I was like, well, what the fuck am I gonna do, you know? And they're like, you know, you could just go plant-based. And I was like, well, fuck it, and that's what I was doing. And I still got my feet. I lost 50 pounds, and then we got on that program where we started doing the, you know, workout, sauna, ice every morning. All of us were feeling good, you know? Yeah. And we were like, you know, fuck it, we just gotta do this every day. And uh, I got it from uh, my boy Pat, Pat Tenor, he owns Ruka Clothing, RBCA. Shut you out, Brett. 
and uh, you know his whole squad is like that. You know they got like probably 80 of the best athletes in the world. You know surfers, fighters, skateboarders, and uh, you know artists. They're like their whole camp is just tight. You know, so, so I've been going out shooting them and at the Pipe Masters in Hawaii for 12 years, and every every winter I go out there for two weeks. I was like, okay, I'm gonna go out to Ruka and work out and eat healthy for fucking two weeks, you know? <laughs> so finally, I just came to the point where the doctor was like, you know, you gotta change. And I was like, I kinda was like on the, on the program, you know, I just said, I just gotta do what those guys do on the daily, you know? Right. Not just two weeks a year. And I started doing it and fucking everything went. It's been going good, you know? Lost 50 pounds, I feel better. I feel younger, look younger, you know, there's enough fat motherfuckers out there, you know, they, the fat fat people ain't gonna miss me. Come on, and, come on. Uh, you know, it's all about being healthy, you know. My dad's 78, um, he's in good shape, he works out three days a week at the YMCA, hitting the bags and shit. Um, you know, he walks around downtown all day, every day, so, like, my, my health goals are like, like my pops, you know? Yeah. The ultimate would be like, you know, David Goggins, where I was just fucking ripped and running 30 miles a day and talking shit, but that dude's the ultimate monster, you know? Yeah, so, for real. I've been, you know, checking him out. Uh, my friend Brian McKenzie does this breathing stuff. He's from the Rupert camp. And then there's another guy, Iceman Hoff, uh, or Ice Hoffman. He's like, he goes in the ice buckets or, you know, he does, uh, goes in the snow and does all kinds of, anything where you shock your body with coldness and it, you know, takes out inflammation and your joints and, you know, that's what you need to do, you know. You to gotta, help your circulation yeah, too. you got to keep, keep your body, you know, if you want to use it, maximize it, you got to take care of it. You got to take care of the flesh. So, you know, I take care of my cars and my bikes and else I might as well take care of my fucking my body you know so and you know something I've been doing over the course of this fourth season was I've been getting more involved into eating right getting more healthier in my standpoint like for me my grandfather great my grandfather they all died at 50 at their desk work yeah me too you know and my dad he, he passed away when I was four and so it's like all right I gotta break that cycle I want to see my kids pass a certain point I want to get to certain things and the only way that's going to work is if I look at myself and say what am I doing wrong and then so I started doing more research and then Sean Lindenauer, he was like, vegan food's bomb. If you've yeah. never had vegan food, you're fucking up. And I was like, what do you mean? What do you mean? And so we got done doing the interviews, like hop in the car, we're going to go to Monty's. And yeah. so we went to Monty's and I had this burger. He was like, I don't care what you say, get a double, get some tots, you're going to eat it. And I'm like, all right, fuck it. You know, sometimes it's awakening. Like, you know, yeah. sometimes the light needs to hit you in the face and you got to enjoy it. And so I'm like, oh, this must be that moment. And go try the burger. I was blown away. Like, now I take my wife there whenever we come out here. I'm trying to get her eating right. And it's just like, if I get this approach early, then, you know, I can have a better chance of living longer past then. Yeah, you'll be ahead of the game if you start now, you know. Like, I'm trying to get all my kids on that. I have a 30-year-old daughter who is, like, more vegan than anybody I know. You know, she's just hardcore and... Uh, 
the other kids, my, my son, he eats really healthy, you know, um, he's not vegan, but he eats real healthy, like everything fresh and, you know, he goes to the store every couple of days and, and, you know, buys food like that. Like before I remember when, when they were growing up, I used to have two refrigerators and a freezer full of food. Go to Costco and buy like $400 worth of shit out there. Oh, we need these, we need these, we need pizza pockets, we need this, we need nuggets and all this type of shit. Right. Like, now it's like, process none of that, you know? Never, we, needed, we never needed any of that shit. So now we're down to one refrigerator, everything is in there only a couple days, and we eat it, you know, before it goes bad, and then, you know, we stock up what we need those next few days. So, yeah, that's just how we're, how we're rolling, that's how my dad does it, and, uh, you know, it's just part of the, it's part of everything, you know? It's like, this is what, you want to be, like I'm 54 now, and I'm competing with kids 20. And I gotta be, you know, I gotta be out there. I gotta yeah, be able active. to, you know, I, I like to be the first one up and the last one to sleep. And I like to, you know, work until people tell you, wait, it's enough, let's stop, like, that's, we're done. You know, like, the youngsters are like, hey man, can we go home? I'm like, fuck, yeah, I don't wanna burn them out, you know, so, Let's go. That's that work ethic that people don't understand. That's where his passion is driven to your purpose. And something that you've been able to say throughout your time, I've watched a lot of your interviews, is that, you know, your passion is what made your bills get paid. Yeah. It led to your purpose so that you can say, hey, I see this thing this way and everyone else is seeing it another way. But if you see it this way, you'll enjoy this a lot better. And from everything you've captured, you put that vision into fruition. And people, you know, we've all received it. And that's something that from music to to the culture to everything, you've been able to just passionately put that in and it drives back to the roots of what you've seen, what was missing. Yep. I mean, if you want to stand out, you know, in the crowd, then you gotta be doing something that not everybody else is doing, you know? So for me, it's like, I work, I try to work harder than everybody else. and. And not only just putting a lot of quantity out there, but quality, you know? Quality. So it's like, I don't want to just put out, you know, a couple projects a year, they take all fucking year, and like, but I want to put out enough to where I'm, you know, I'm smashing out there, and then people are like, hey, you know, he fucking puts out a lot of shit, but it's all quality, you know? I don't want to just be doing a bunch of junk either, you know? Like, there's too much of that, you know, everything's oversaturated and watered down and the game got all fucked up, but, you know, it's, uh, it's up to the ones who know to, you know, pull it back and be like, you know, this is how it's supposed to be. At the same time, not stuck, you know, like stuck in the past. Like, I always hear the youngsters, you know, like in the hip hop world, they're talking about, you know, Fuck that, you know, those dudes are dinosaurs, you know, they haven't put out a hit in this many years or whatever, but, you know, you always have to <coughs> respect, you know, the pioneers and then, you know, just always respect people that were there before you, no matter what. Come on. And then, you know, bring something to the game, you know, not, not some bullshit, bring something yes. that really adds to it, not just doing whatever, you know? So, 
try to, you know, balance out both of those, you know, because I feel like I wasn't the first ones, you know, but I was, you know, I came in in the early game, and then I'm trying to stay relevant, you know. I've been, I've been doing it for 30 years, and if you ask the youngsters, you know, hey, you think you're going to do this when you're 50? They'll be like, fuck, I already thought of that, you know. Like, that's, that's, that's how it is, you know, and I'm, I already have my plan for the next, I'm trying to, you know, hit my dad's age, so I have my plan for the next 20, 25 years that I want to at least do this, you know, my plan. Of course, I have to do way more just to, you know, keep shit going, but at least I'm going to do these little projects. That's so right. that's what I'm on right now. And that's goals, that's that's long term, that's short term, that's building and, and making everything still revolve around it. And a lot of the times people get so caught up on trying to take off somewhere, they forget that they got to land at these destinations and arrive and, and do what you're doing. And, you know, you that's amazing because you're letting all the youngsters know you got to plan, not just tomorrow. You can't just plan next week. This brother said 20 years from now. And, you know, we've asked the. Uh, a technology person like how far advanced do you plan your technology he said 10 years from now and then you just stepped it up a notch to 20 years yeah. to understand you know what your value and what your worth will translate and then how do you transfer the heat from right here to over here well like all the photos that i have most of the photos that pretty much all the photos that people are seeing right now are from the 90s and the early 2000s so the shit that i'm shooting now I don't even care to show nobody for another 10 years. Like like right now, there's the riots, the protests, the cops, the National Guards, the, you know, the pandemic, and everybody's rushing. Like, how many pictures of, you know, cops can I put out there? How many pictures of protests? They're saturating. Yeah, it's like, they played it out, you know? So I'm like, I don't need to do that shit. I'll wait for 10 years and put out a book of, you know, like now, the coolest shit is, seeing the stuff from the riots in 92. Right. You know? so you're like, damn, look at it. This is how it was the first time, or you know, the second time around, because the Watts riots were in the 60s, so. Yeah. It was like the Watts riots, you know, 30 years later was that, and. You know, 30 years are, later again. Yeah, here we are again. So it's like, I don't even want to show my pictures from what I have now, but I have everything. So. And I shot it all on film, you know, because I couldn't work because my job is to be with people. And they shut that down quick. So I was like, well, I'm just going to shoot pictures for me in 10 years. And then what I've been doing during the COVID is um, using my old pictures, like I said, from the 90s and 2000s and doing collaborations with different companies so that, you know, I still have shit out there. Money's still coming in. And then I'm doing my own thing on the side for later on down the road. And then the movie came out right in the heart of it. So, you know, LA Originals, April 10th, you know, came out on Netflix. And the first week it was like, got into the top 10. Yes. And then it was bouncing around from like 10 to 8 to 9 to 7 to 6 to 4 to 5. And, you know, we got all the way up to 4 as far as like an overall uh, movie on Netflix. Right. We got number one on uh, documentaries. So like that, 
exceeded any expectation that we had, you know, we did like, for us, we are like, cool if it fucking comes out, you know? I just don't want it to be on YouTube, you know? As long as it comes out, our, our people get to see it, cool, but then it started trending and started, you know. It took over. Yeah, I was like. It was a conversation. It took off and we had all the right people in it at that time and Eminem and, and uh, you know, of course Snoop just like took it home for us, you know, like they went to bat for us hardcore, like, you know, Snoop posted it, Eminem posted it in his, uh, in his feed, in his stories, and then his uh, link in his bio, the only thing that it said in his bio was the link to the movie. Wow. And we didn't ask him or anything like that. People were sending that shit to me, like, hey, check out Eminem, what he did. And we're like, what? I'm looking, I was like, oh, cool, he posted it. And I'm like, no, click the link. I click the link, it goes shoot, right to LA Originals on Netflix. I was like, fuck, man. Like, you, can't, you can't ask somebody to do that because you come out, you know, like, man, this motherfucker's asking me this, that, you know, or, or you can't pay somebody because then it's not real, but like when somebody at that level just does that off the strength, you're just like, fuck, man, you know? Like, they fuck with you. Yeah, it's like, that shit blew me away. That was overwhelming, you know? Then the texts, the DMs, the, you know, the followers started going, and just shit went buck wild. Like, it's fucking crazy, you know? Personally, bro, I love the documentary, number one. Number two, we're doing a documentary for Second to None. And uh, he's directing, I'm producing it. And, you know, from you directing it and you also starring in it, you see the challenges of doing the documentary, getting people's time, doing the interviews, having the questions lined up. You've seen the challenges firsthand. And I know we spend a lot of time on the end product right now because it deserved the praise. And I'm happy it got received in the way that it was supposed to. You know, personally, I think it should have been number one on top 10 because, you know, especially at that moment, it was an escape from reality to see, look, we got flashes of the riots. We got flashes of someone's come up. We got flashes of, hey, I didn't know Cypress Hill's manager was behind Eminem. And, you know, you got all of this circulating because of what you guys were able to inhibit into documenting it. Yeah. I mean, what people saw was just like a highlight reel of 25 years of our lives and a very small glimpse of the footage that we have, you know. We have hundreds of hours of footage. And to be, you know, narrow that down. Originally we wanted it to be, uh, we wanted it to be like uh, Dre and Jimmy Iveen's um, HBO you know, series. We wanted it to be like that and then they're like, oh, you know, you guys aren't, aren't that big, you know. We'll give you 90 minutes, so we're like, cool, we'll take that, you know? So we Humble. took the 90 minutes and then it was just like chopping up like second of every little piece and, you know, trying to tell a story because if you're doing a documentary and you kind of say like, okay, I want to do a documentary on this subject. I want to shoot this, 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 and this, and this is the story I want to tell. Well, we are like, we have 25 years of footage. Let's make a documentary out of that. So we had to go back and do maybe 10 to 15 interviews of people that were in the old footage so we could you know, go back and forth from the old to the new. And we had to kind of tell the story that way, you know? Kind of back, we started backwards, is what I'm saying. 
but it worked. Right. And now when I like look at this book right here, that's kind of like, this kind of like the, the treatment or the storyboard of it all, you know? There's like a little bit of everything in there. And that's kind of what was in, you know, the movie. So, and there, originally I wanted to start off with our whole crew, which is the Soul Assassins. So it would have been like, uh, you know, Cypress Hill, House of Pain, Me, Cartoon, Alchemist, and, and Scotty Khan, the Hooligans, uh, you know, Dilated Peoples, and there was Chase and Crondon, Self Scientific, and Big a B that started Unity here in LA. And there's just like, our crew is so, so deep and so uh, embedded in the culture, you'd say, here in LA. So, I wanted to start off with that documentary, but there were so many people, and it's like, you know, trying to get together, like, so much, you know, people's schedules and it. I was like, man, fuck that. And then I was like, okay, let's do Cypress. And then I was like, you know, these guys are going on tour, this, that, and the other. And it's like, you know, without a budget, you're, like, trying to chase them around and do all this shit. And I was like, well, fuck it, man. I got all the footage of me and part two. Let's just do one on ourselves, and, you know. So we did... Uh, Started with the LA Originals, and now we're getting into the Psychos, and then hopefully I want to, you know, get into the Soul Assassin one at the end of that. So it's kind of like going backwards again, but of what the original idea was, but, you know, I think it'll work. You know, sometimes we got to take a couple of steps back just to get 10 steps forward. And, you know, when you go back in history, you reflect on so much that you get a lot more than what you thought you were looking for. Because, you know, a lot of us, especially from the streets, we take certain moments and block it out. And then when we go back and dig up certain things and it's like, oh, boom, boom. Oh, I forgot about this emotion. And then that stuff, oh, where can I find from this day? And then you start digging more and then it's like, oh, yeah, I do remember all this. And then that is the element that, you know, people need to see because that explains so much that where we block certain out for a purpose. <laughs> yeah, if I didn't have pictures, like, I mean, that that's what brings up all my my memories seeing all my photos because there's so much you know, I, was, I was on tour for from 92 to 2005 with the bands 92 93 94 with with house of pain then 94 to 2005 with cypress then i went on my own doing photography and video directing so that, there's a lot, I mean, fucking every day of touring during the summers and then doing winter shows, you know, like, there was a lot of shit, you know, saw a lot of people in the world. Right. Just the one day at, at uh, Woodstock in 94, is 500,000, you know, so like, some of those festivals are 100,000, like, you know, we're seeing millions of people, you know, throughout those years. And, to 44 countries with the bands uh, multiple times, some of them. Went to all the states, and then after I left that and I started doing photography on my own, I think I went to 12 more countries on my own doing photography and like, content, like they say now. But, uh, you know, like, there's no way I can remember all that shit. You know, it's like I have to go back and look at stuff and be like, okay, yeah, I remember that, I remember that. And when I see a photo, I can remember that day. 
and oh yeah, that day I shot him, and we went here first, and we, you know, I waited for 30 minutes for him to show up. He was, you know, then we had to do this and that, and then we shot, and then we went to go eat after. Like everything comes right back when you see a photo. So I'm, I'm really glad that you know I was able to do all that shit and take pictures of it, and document it, so it could, you know, keep track of all the memories. They capture for memories for you, but they also capture the memories that you're capturing for. Yeah. You know, taking it back to going to, was it Iraq, right after during the bombings? And, yep. you know, that stuff was, I just, one, crazy as fuck. Two, gangster as fuck. Yeah. And three, you know, it put a moment into people that was like, hey, you think this job's easy? Are you willing to do this? Yeah. Everybody wants to talk the talk, but they don't do the walk the walk or get on a plane and go do something like that. Yeah. And you, you know, you got that moment for them where they could tell their kids. A lot of us have stories where we weren't smart enough to have a phone, or not a phone, but a camera. Now it's a phone for cameras, but we weren't smart enough to have a camera to document. Like, hey, I met this person, or we talked about this, and someone never caught it. And it's, you know, now it's, it's just like a random ass story somebody will tell. Yeah. Versus once you you had someone that did document it and told it, this that billion dollar worth of story that's involved. Yeah, back in the day when I started, like. You didn't take, you didn't, like, I never took pictures with people, because I, I was a behind-the-scenes guy, so I never took pictures with the celebrities or the artists that I was shooting or whatever. Whereas now, it's like, that's the first thing people want to do, is like, okay, I'm shooting this guy, I want to, you know, I want to get in a picture with him, but I didn't do that for years. I think the very first time was, um, I was shooting uh, A-Track, DJ A-Track for a magazine, I think Complex. It was a day in the life of DJ A-Track. And at night, he had a show with Kanye at the at the Palace in Hollywood. And um, that night, Tom Cruise came through, and he was in the backstage, and I told A-Track, I go, he goes, hey, check it out. Tom Cruise is in there, you know, check out the show. And I was like, man, that's crazy, you know? dope. I didn't think, you know, like, you know, I've seen a thousand shows, I've seen, a, you know, thousands of people coming to the shows and VIPs and everything, but, like, I don't know why, but Tom Cruise at a Kanye show is kind of like, damn, you know, like, that's big, you know? So, I told A-Track, I go, hey, you want to, we should do a photo with him for the complex story, you know, it'd be kind of funny. He goes, yeah, you know, but, you know, he didn't want to ask him. I was like, fuck it, I'll ask him, you know? It's easier for me to ask for somebody else than for me to ask for me, you know. So I go, hey, Tom. He goes, oh, yeah. Is it cool if A-Track, you know, gets a flick with you? And he goes, yeah, sure. So, you know, obviously he watched him in the whole show and who he was. So I took a photo of him and then probably about 20, 30 people there. And they were like, uh, hey, Kanye, you know, you want to get a shot with, with Tom? He's like, yeah, for sure. Then like everybody was backstage wanted to shout with him. And at the end of it, after everybody got, you know, I took a picture of everybody with him. Uh, I was like, fuck this, let me get a picture of Tom, you know? And I, I got in one shot with him, and then I was like, I think Snoop was probably the next one, you know, that I was, I was like, Snoop, let me get a flick with you, you know? And, but I still don't really ask people because Back in the day when I started, like it was a respect thing, and there was a, a 
you didn't want to be like a groupie. You knew your place, you know, like I'm not behind the scenes and so that there's no reason for me to be in a picture with him. And I wish I would have, you know, thought about it, you know, before, like, you know, could I, you know, could those have been like, could there have been a way where I did do flicks with people back then that wouldn't have been like too much, you know? Cause that's how, that's how I felt, like I didn't want to bug somebody, you know, so I didn't really ever ask anybody, like, hey, can we get a picture together, you know, and it, it felt weird, because I didn't really know them, I was like, to me, I was like, why do I want to be in a picture with somebody I don't know, because mm. back in the day, you took pictures with people you knew, you took pictures with your girl, you took pictures with your homies, right, you took pictures of places that you were going to, but you never really took pictures with people you didn't know. So if somebody was a celebrity and you didn't know them, why would you want to be in a picture with them just because they're a celebrity? You know, and you're like, you're like, Man, you know, I'm gonna let him do his thing, let him shine. But somewhere down the line, it changed, and it was all about everybody wanted to have the shots, you know, with, with people they're working with or celebrities or whatever. And I'm like, fuck it, you know, like I started with. Tom Cruise and, you know, I'll kind of stay at that level, you know. <laughs> Legendary. Tom Cruise knew, you know, like, there's not that many pictures with me with any any of the people that I work with. You know, whereas it would have been cool to take a picture of me with Dennis Hopper or me and fucking Robert Jr. and Al Pacino, you know, that would have been cool. Like, hey, yeah, hey, Bobby Al, can, can we get a shot, you know? I, I wish there was a guy fuck, that was you know? taking behind the scenes of what you were doing. There was someone that was capturing pictures of you working with that. Yeah. You know, that would have been dope to capture. That was rare, too. You know, there was very rare BTS behind the scenes shit back then. Right. Like, that was unheard of. Like, that was MTV on making the music video. You were doing a shoot at a... You were saying, like, I was shooting Robert De Niro and Al Pacino. Nobody else could break out a camera at all. It's just like, you don't even have to say it. Like, no, everybody knows. Hey, the photographer is the only one that takes pictures. I don't want to see no pictures. And then social media came, and then people started posting pictures of shoots from behind the scenes. And then people are like, hey, why did you post that? You know, we're, you know that's not coming out yet. It was like, there was like rules and guidelines even in the beginning. Then that shit just went buck wild to where, like if I did a job with somebody, that job had been seen by maybe 10 other people, photos of that job before my photos got um, let out, you know, for the, for the job. Everybody had already seen what the person was wearing that day, what their hair and makeup looked like, you know, where the locations I was shooting at, what they were wearing at those locations, maybe a month or even longer before. Like I did a campaign with uh, Karuchi for her jewelry line. And she was like, I go, hey, so like, do we need to take a bunch of people? She goes, no, just me and you. Just me and you are gonna roll around and take pictures and everybody else can wait at the, at the studio. I was like, okay, cool, let's go. So nobody had behind the scenes shots or 
one of my boys, I was like, is it cool if he comes, you know, just to, you know, look out for us? Because like, if I'm shooting you, I can't see what's behind you. Right. So she was like, yeah. So we got a, a little bit of that, but it wasn't, everybody knew, like, hey, we're not dropping nothing until Karuchi drops her shit. And then we'll put out anything that, that we have, you know, but nobody's going to see anything of this until she puts it out. You know, without people signing a non-disclosure, that's like the hidden rule of whatever you do. You can't drop something before the shit comes out. It's supposed to be like that, but it's not, you know? Right, right. Now, I guess wash. Uh, I got this quote, brother. Let me know how this quote relates to you. Go for it. You know, I'm going to go ahead and hit you with it. The best thing you can do for a person is to inspire them. That's the best currency you can offer. Inspiration. Nipsey Hussle. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah, man. Nipsey, he had, he had a few of those. Like, when I, I trip out because, you know, I shot him in 2007 and 8 or 8 and 9 or something like that. I was going to do his uh, first album cover when he was coming out on uh, Virgin. I think. And, mm -hmm. um, we hung out a lot and done a few, you know, different photo shoots. And at that time, he hadn't been signed yet, but I had hookups with magazines. So I was bringing him in on magazines. Like they'd say, hey, like Double XL, they did a shoot one time and they're like, hey, can you get real street dudes that are in the music game to be, you know, in these shoots? And I go, yeah. Uh -huh. So I got uh, J-Rock, Nipsey, and uh, some Mexican homies, um, a guy named Stomper and another one, Buyo. And, you know, so we had like a mixture of different street dudes wow. that also did music. So I had hookups with magazines and then I'd hit the magazines and be like, hey, I want to shoot you, you know, for some new hip hop dudes that are coming out of LA. So I would pitch people to the magazines and like early on, I got, you know, nipped in a couple of magazines and and um, it was a trip to see how he went with his career. Like he did it non-traditionally the whole way. Right, right. And then you just like, you hear different stuff that, you know, he would come out and say and you're like, man, this dude was, like, he was really on his shit, you know? And, um, like that last record he did was just off the chain, you know, like every every song was just a banger. The the assembly of, of the songs was just like it yes. just flowed perfectly the whole album. You never press forward or, you know, you press rewind because you want to hear that I gotta hear that one again. Facts. Facts. So when that album came out and then, you know, him passing away and I mean and everything started coming out of him, you know, like on him, you know, every interview, there are all these sayings that he would say, and you're like, man, this dude was like, because I go back and I listen to the old interviews that Tupac did, you know? Right. Tupac was only like, was he 25 or 26 when he passed away? 26. And the amount of shit that he said, and the amount of work he did, and Everything that he did was just like more than a lot of 
people in the industry's whole lifetime at 25, 26. You know, there was shit he was saying at 24, 25, 23, you're just like, man, this dude's, he was really on some shit. Yeah. We're a youngster. You know, I have, a, I have kids that are, you know, 21, 27, 28, you know, 30, in those age ranges, and the amount of shit that dude did blows me away. And, uh, you know, Nipsey was right there with him, you know. He, he got to go a few more years than, than uh, Tupac did, but that dude did a lot of, a lot of stuff, you know. He did a lot of great. And, you know, he was able to inspire so many. And then he put the spot back, spotlight back into the neighborhood that he grew up yeah. in to show everybody, hey, you know, you can get money and come back and build your neighborhood. Yeah. And that was the biggest thing to inspire everybody across the board. Yeah. And, you know, he also captured things that, you know, we can both relate is so many people got the streets fucked up. Yeah. They got this personification that, you know, we choose to do certain things versus this is sometimes our only option. Yeah. You know, the only way we're gonna get out this hole is if we make a way. Yeah. And some people, if they get in the way, that's our way out. And a lot of people don't understand that dynamic because they've never been forced to figure out how am I gonna eat tomorrow? How are we gonna get through this next day? You know, how am I gonna cook, you know, go through the moment of with my parents or my mom and my stepdad are like, they're not working, they can't figure out how we're gonna get a meal. But we got to do, I got to figure out something on the streets. I'm 10, 11, and come back with some money. Yeah. You know, just the fact that he was on that Dr. Sebi trip, you know. Eating right. He was so deep in it, and nobody even knew, you know, until later on it was coming out that he was doing a documentary on him. And like, he was way, way ahead of his, way ahead of his, uh, a, lot of, a lot of guys in the game. Yeah. Like everything that he was doing was the right way. You know, you talk about the quote, you know, inspiring people, like that's all he that's all he did, you know, was inspire people. Like if he like I, I tripped out on him, you know, and I'm way older than him, you know, I'm twenty years older than him. And he came in like, you know, I just tripped out on all the stuff that he did, like you know, like you said, with the neighborhood and with all his homies and with the health and like everything he did, I was just like, this motherfucker's he's good, you know? But you know, as we're talking about how his great, his legacy is, you have a legacy that you're leaving as well. You know, you're inspiring so many Latinos. I mean, you're inspiring everybody across the board, but you're letting people know like, hey, it don't matter what you do, love your craft, love what yeah. you do and get paid for it. Don't forget to get paid. And, you know, you, you apply pressure in that way and people can see the, the, the glow up. They can see the fruits of your labor across the board. And that's the inspiration. You're capturing moments that, that people can cherish for centuries. This book of yours will be around for centuries. You have stuff in the Smithsonian, brother. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? That's, that's forever. Yeah, I got stuff in the fifth. Well, they're buying some of my stuff, but... I've been exhibited in 15 museums. So, like, as a photographer, as an artist, that's, my goal is, you know, one, to be able to make a living at it and feed my family. Two, to be documented in, in the 
history books, which is I'm making my own history books, and three to be in museums as an artist. You know, like that's the highest you can go. You can't go any higher than a museum as right. an artist. So I'm just like chopping those down, you know, the best I can. I'm just trying to like get in museum, 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 and what people don't know is that aren't in the industry is. You don't make any money being in a museum. It's all about the prestige of being there. Like you don't sell, you can't sell anything in a museum. So you're just showing to say, I was in a museum. When you go to an art gallery, it's a different story. Right. You sell your work there and you can get, you know, if you're smart and you and you got game, you can get 70% and the gallery gets 30. But most of the time, the gallery gets 50%. Mm. So, you know, you gotta you gotta do it all. You know, you have to you know, you gotta do books, you gotta do galleries, you gotta try to get in museums, you gotta you know, there ain't no magazines no more really, but I mean I tell people like Instagram is like your own your own agent, you know, that's your own thing out there pushing your work. It's a platform. It's your own magazine, it's your own book your own gallery it's you know it's everything that you need in one place yeah the fucked up part about it is the rules and all the shit that they put on you and that you know there's people that come on there and they'll talk shit and all that and you know like they're sitting at home not doing nothing you know like, come, on. come on bro like you got you don't ever comment on nothing but you got something to say about this one picture like get the fuck out of here man for me it's like I love blocking fools on Instagram because to me it's like I wouldn't let you come in my house and disrespect you disrespect me so why would I let you come on my Instagram where I'm showing my work I'm showing my family I'm showing my life I'm showing you what I do you know when I'm not working and I you're being transparent music or everything working out eating so to me it's like I wouldn't let you come to my house and disrespect me, so why would I let you come on there and disrespect me, you know? Facts. You're, you're out, gone. See you later, you know? But, um... So, you know, a lot of people don't understand the energy you take from your phone, it transfers over. That bad vibe, reading that stuff and taking it in with you, yeah. a second is a second too long. Yeah. So, no, you're right. You got to delete that shit and remove it out. And the easiest way to do something is decline a phone call, yeah. do not respond, or block somebody. <laughs> yeah, it's easy. You know, like, it's it's so easy to just, to me, I'm about being positive and being around positive people and doing positive things and helping people in a positive way. And those people are negative and they ain't doing shit, so fuck them. You know, Facts. Adios. You're gone. So, like, you know, I, I, I help out so many people and do so much good shit that, you know, I mean, the way I see it, like, I shouldn't have one fucking comment of people talking shit, but they don't know all that shit, you know, and I'm not here to tell them or, you know, teach them anything, so I don't really give a fuck, you know, I'd rather just say you're gone and that's it, you know, but I know what I do, I know who I am, nobody can say I burn them in any type of way, you know, like, I've never done nobody dirty. So I'm not I'm not tripping on nothing, you know. I go all over by myself everywhere, you know. 
I don't really look over my shoulder because I don't feel like anybody's out there to get me like that, you know? I know there's some weirdos out there, you know, like it could happen to anybody. If somebody could get burned out on the way you even do positive shit, you know, they could find something in that to... to some bullshit. <laughs> to, to get mad at, you know? Right, right. But to me, it was like, Never done. If I ain't never done nothing to you or whatever, then you know, fuck out of here. You know. Nah, that's real. You know, sometimes you gotta have shit end on that note. Don't drag the stuff out because all you're doing is adding more wear and tear to your day. And you know, life is too short. Yeah, that's for sure. I got way too much shit to do. You know. Facts. I'm trying to put out. Like my goal was 25 books before I die. So right now I'm at uh, four. I got, I'm working on three more. And then that's seven, so I got, you know. 18? Yeah, I got 18 more to go. And I have the stuff, you know, I have enough photos to definitely do it. I just have to pick what topics I want to do and then build that shit, you know. Yeah, that's it. But everything's here already. I don't, I don't need to, go and do anything new. I have enough, you know, right here behind this wall to at least do 30 books in total. When it comes to this camera, you know, they've evolved the camera. Before it was a camera, you know, film to then if you wanted to film, you had to have this digital recorder throw on the shoulder. And, you know, now we have cameras that do it all, you know, do you feel like the camera world, the game, I'm talking about, did the game choose you or did you choose the game? I don't know any, um, like my, what, what had happened was I was um, the tour manager of House of Pain already and I was low right now, I was in a car club in East LA. So my pops saw that shit and was like, you know, hey, you're, you're doing a lot of cool shit, you should take pictures of it. Because at that time, it wasn't cool to take a camera. You know, it wasn't cool, like, to have a camera, like, walking around it. Most of the people that would do that were tourists or paparazzis. And if you saw, you know, a professional photographer, you saw all the, you know, bells and whistles. You know, you saw guys with lights and guys with, you know, there was makeup artists and stylists and this big-ass crew to do a professional photo shoot. So there wasn't people just running around with cameras that much. And it was kind of like, for me, it was kind of embarrassing to, to roll around with a camera. Like, I used to just like carry a camera, like, I'd have it like tucked in, in my, in my hand like that. I'd be like, hey, you know, should we do some, can I do a flick or something? And they're like, yeah, okay. And then I bust out the camera and go, damn, where do you have that? I go, you know. I didn't want to wear it around my neck. It looked all goofy. So in the beginning, it was kind of hard for me to get used to, one, asking people to take pictures, two, uh, you know, like putting a camera in their face, and, and uh, you know, cameras were bigger back then, you know, they're fucking big old clunky things, so it wasn't like, you know, like now, where like people are doing like shit like this, they'll be like acting like they're texting, and then they're taking pictures <laughs> of video and shit, and like, <laughs> Oh yeah, you know, fucking they're they're filming and doing photos 
and you think they're they're texting their wife or something, you know? But you can't do that shit with a with the camera back then. You right. had to like pull that shit up to your face where people would see this big ass thing and then you'd be like, Hey, is it cool if I you know take a picture of you? And they're like sometimes they're like, Yeah, sure. Sometimes they're like, For what? What are you doing? And they're like, oh, that's just for me. What do you mean for me? Well, I just wanted to take a picture, you know, of you or your car or whatever. You know, just, just uh, like, what for? What are you gonna do with it? I don't know. If you don't know what you're gonna do with a photo. You just wanted to take a photo, you know? Right. But now it's just like so okay and over, you know, saturated and everything like that. Like, if you don't take a picture there's something wrong with you you know like if you if you don't have your camera there's something wrong with you like hey where's your phone I'm like oh boo man fuck get out of here poor oh my phone died ah get out of here fucking idiot you know where back in the day like you know you had to like do all kinds of shit you know and it was weird if you had a camera now it's weird if you don't have one you know, coming from the behind the scenes element and, you know, always being behind the scenes capturing. And right now we're in a time of 2020 where people are like, who is this person filming? Who is this picture, person taking the picture? Who is this person doing this music video? And they're getting that light, you know, from producers to directors to all the fill-ins in between. Before it was only about the artist. It was only about the actor. Yeah. It was only about the movie, the brand. Now people want to understand why does this motor move? Yeah. Because they want to, you know, it's an entrepreneur world where people want to continue to grow. And, you know, how does it feel to be on this end, this side of the camera versus being on that side, blocking and directing and, you know, making sure that you capture what you want to see? Oh, I like being behind the camera way better, you know. But it's a trip nowadays, like, you know, people, like, everybody wants to be tagged and everything, you know. Like, back in the day, it was like, you know, they, this was a film by this person, meaning this person directed this film. And these people produced it. And then later, if you watched all the credits just go, then you'd see everybody who you know, was a part of it. You'd have to like pause it and, you know, really trip out on, oh, who did this or who did that? And now it's like everybody wants to, hey, how come you didn't tag me on this? I carried the bag, you know, from this car to there. I was like, fuck, man, all right, whatever, you know bag carrier at, you know, whatever, you know, like, That's everybody wants to get credit for every little thing, you know, and it's like, I, I know that, you know, that a lot of things that I've done are, you know, I, I had a team, you know, and I, and there's no way I could take credit for everything I've done without giving my team credit, but now it's just like, you know, it's too much, you know. It's everybody excessive. Wants, yeah, it's like everybody wants every little piece of credit for every little thing. I'm like, come on, well, you didn't do that much, you know? <laughs> yeah, people want to be a consultant because we called and you told me something about my show. Yeah. And so you want a consultant credit now. It's like, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> no, definitely. They, they ain't investing in it, you know? Like, They're not shooting with you in the gym. Yeah. They're not sitting there giving you the gems that you need to move forward. Yeah. You know, a lot of time we need something to, to catch us on our point to make the light go off in our progress. And a lot of people think that, hey, oh, they just came up with it. Someone told me that. No, bro. It was a whole bunch of work that went into understanding how something moves yeah. for you to fill in your void. Years of hard work, you know. 
you're an outlier, bro. I don't know if you've ever read the book Outliers, but it's all about putting in 10,000 hours of work. And you become a master of your habit, a master of your work ethic. You know, the biggest way you can have self-respect is in your work. And you've been able to show everybody your work ethic over and over again. At, at, in your 50s, you're still putting in 12, 14-hour days. You're showing the youngsters what right looks like. You know, what can you tell the listeners about, you know, one, your manifestations to get to this point, and two, what it took to put the hours in? Um, it takes, you know, dedication, you know, like what, what, how, how bad do you want something or how bad do you need something? You know, for me, it's like what started me was my mom was uh, disabled when I was six years old and my dad wasn't around except for holidays and the summer times. So my mom was, we were on like, you know, welfare and food stamps, you know, and, and uh, you know, whatever the, the government would give us. And then she would get like all these credit cards. I remember she just had stacks of credit cards and she'd go like, you know, buy stuff on here, 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 and just pay 10 bucks here, 10 bucks there. And she was a hustler and she kind of like, knew how to work the system without, you know, doing it, anything criminally, you know? Everything was like by the book, but it was by the minimum that she had to give give mm. them. But it was all she could do, you know? She was disabled and it was just me and her, pretty much. And uh, it, was, it was hard for her, you know? And it was hard for me too, because I, had to see a bunch of other people that had more, you know, they either had two parents or they would have more, you know, their parents would give them more, something like that. So, you know, I was always like, man, I'm not gonna be like this forever, you know, I'm not gonna always be, you know, getting the minimum. So like, I need to get, you know, I need to get some more shit, you know, like, like other people. So I started working at a young age and bringing home extra money to moms and, you know, when I turned the, the, I was working from like 12 years old already during the summers and I would work, when I hit 16 when you could legally work, I was getting like two jobs at a time. And then, you know, when I got older, you know, if I needed three jobs, I'd go get three jobs, you know. I wasn't going to go to school anymore, basically. I was like, I've been to school from the the age of two to the age of 17, that's 15 years, I was done. Right. College, I tried it, I was like, I ain't doing all this shit. So I, what I like to do is work. So I went, I went straight to work and then um, I just learned that, you know, the harder you work, the more you do, the more you get, you know, the more money you get, the more opportunities come up and I just went for it, you know, like a lot of guys, a lot of guys that were my age that hung out with Cypress Hill and House of Pain, we brought them into the camp. And everybody was, everybody that was around some, at some point in time got their chance to be a part of the machine. And 98% of them fucked it off. They would all like be like, man, I ain't trying to do all that. Or, you know, like they saw that it was work. You know, it wasn't just. Uh, you know, watching the homies do a show and you're at the side of the stage and everybody's getting bitches and money and, you know, drugs or whatever and free shit, you know, it's like, 
you really had to work. And you had to, you know, if you, they're like, how come, you know, you don't ever hook me up, take me on tour? Like, oh, you want to go on tour? Like, yeah. I want to fucking see, see that shit. Yeah, like, okay, away. cool. Come on with it. Here's your, here's your bunk in the bus. You know, it's like a coffin. <laughs> sitting like that on the tour bus. Here's your spending money for per diems and stuff. And, you know, and now it's time to work. You know, we're setting up the stage and breaking down the stage and setting up the merch at the merch stand and making sure that the interviews and all the, the band shit goes good. And, you know, there's some long days. And then there's, you know, you either go back to the motel and you wake up early and you drive to the next city or you drive through the night. And that shit was tiring. Nobody really thinks about that or knows about that unless they do it. And a lot of, a lot of people, wouldn't come back. You know, they're like, man, that shit was fun, but I don't think I could do that shit like you guys do. You know, like, I don't know how the fuck you guys do that. Like, they ain't got it in them. This is, you know, this is what we do. You know, and like, after people got to see how hard I work and all the shit that I do, they're like, man, how do you do that shit? I'm like, you know, I, now I have bills. You know, back then I just had that drive and I had that want and I had that, that, you know, I had that fire in me, you know, like, I want to do some, I want to do some shit, you know, like, I don't want to just be the guy that settles for the least, you know, mm-hmm. I don't want to be the guy that just, like, we need those people, you know, we need those guys that, they're a waiter at the restaurant for 30 years, and, you know, they can take your order, and they have the shit memorized, they don't even write nothing down, they're like, oh yeah, you want a steak and, you know, potatoes and a Caesar salad, and you want the chicken with, you know, broccoli and this and that, you know, like, they remember all that shit, and they're, you know, going back and forth and bringing this shit out quick, and, like, we need those type of people, you know, the guy that works at the liquor store for 30 years, who's just stocking the shelves, who's seen the Frank Sinatra all day, or whatever, you know, like, there has to be certain kind of people on every part of life, you know, and I was like, that's, that's the easy way to me go somewhere for eight hours, punch in, do my job, punch out, go home, grab a six pack on the way, get a TV dinner, watch TV, drink a beer, eat my dinner, go to sleep at eight, get up, do the same shit again. Or you can go and do some extra shit. That's what I wanted to do. I was like, I want to do, I want to, like after I got a little taste of like touring and traveling and and just seeing all kinds of shit, I was like, I want, I want to do this. It's that hot. And I was able to do it with the photography and the, and the filming. Once the touring was over, I was like, fuck, what am I gonna do now? I've been touring for 13 years. Like, I know how to do touring, and I know how to take pictures and do videos, so, you know, I'm not touring no more, they don't want to tour, so I'm fucking, I'm, Instead of going with another band that I didn't know, I was like, I don't want to do that because I don't know those people and I don't want to be going on a new tour every month like most tour managers. They're like, oh, I'm touring with this guy and then I'm going to set up another tour of this guy after this one's done. And they're just going band to band and like, you know, living with a new band every month, you know, on the bus and in hotels. 
sometimes if it's lower budget and you got to share a room with another crew member that you don't know and mm. you know motherfuckers are snoring and farting and shitting and you know, it's like man I'm trying to do all this you know that right. if I'm not going with my people then I'm going to do this so I went to doing photography and videos and I just pushed that shit as hard as I could and you know, I'm still going you know do you ever sit back and think, like, you know, if House of Pain didn't take off the way it did, would you be, like, an architect? Or no. would you be building, like, because I know you were in construction before. Yeah. Like, would you have got to that highest point of construction? No, I don't think so. Because, uh, I mean, I didn't have a plan back then. I was 20, around 26 years old. And I was working construction during the day and working at clubs at night and I didn't really have a plan. I was I was poor. I had my four hundred dollar a month apartment. I had my low rider. I had my work truck. You know, I'd go every day and, you know, go to work from the morning till the afternoon, take a break, go to work at the clubs, you know, at nighttime. And I was just like, okay, cool, you know, let's see what let's see what happens next. And then uh that shit came up, and I wasn't even supposed to get paid at first. Well, I wasn't. Um, most told me, hey, at first, you know, you just get per diems, which is, you know, your daily money to eat with, and your flights will get covered, and your hotels, you know, and if they start, you know, touring and making money, then they'll they'll pay you, you know, a salary or whatever. And that shit, probably about a couple weeks into it, a month into it, took off, jump around, took off, and we started making money right off the bat. So mm. luckily, you know, that should happen. I was planning to do it for the summer and then go back to work. Because they are like, just go for the summer. Like, yeah, okay, cool. And the shit took off, and then it was like, I had no training, no nothing. And I just learned with the band and learned with touring what to do and how to do it. And I'd ask other old school tour managers and you know other people in the groups like hey how do you do this how do you do that and you have to watch it you know you have to want to learn you have to want to i never I, I don't know everything you know i don't know it all i don't pretend like i know it all like i know young kids that i meet you know to me they're kids they think that once they're 18 they're mad but I meet young kids that are twenties, thirties, and they act like they know it all. I'm like, man, how the fuck do you know it all? Like, how do you know more than me? And you haven't been nowhere or done anything. You know, you like, you never had your own company, and you never traveled or anything. And you know more than me. That's cool. Like, I wish, you know, I wish I had it like that. You know, mm -hmm. I had to go all over the fucking world and meet all kinds of people that knew more than me and asked them and be willing to learn and that's how I learned shit but fuck that's cool that you just came out the gate knowing everything and you know everything right. about everything that's cool it's a trip yeah you know we live in a world where people will look up a Wikipedia thing and they tell you an answer to your question like motherfucker someone else wrote that everybody's and it's not even doctor. verified yeah. oh. everybody's a doctor now like <laughs> Oh, I Google this shit and, and like I go to my doctor and I'll be like, yeah, you know, I was doing this, that. And he goes, what made you do that? Wait, wait, before you tell me, please don't tell me you Google it. Or WebMD. Like, yeah. He goes, man, 
sometimes they're like, let me, you know, like doctors got to go to school for 12 years, college. All we study is medical, medical, medical for 12 years straight. If you haven't done that, then we're not on the same level. Don't, don't let me be the doctor because there was a point where I stopped taking my medicine because everybody's like, oh, the, farm, the big pharmacies are doing that to make money. They tell you you're sick so they can make money off you. They give you pills that have side effects, this, that, and the other. And I was like, yeah, yeah, they do do that. Yeah, they are making money. Yeah, I'm getting shit, I'm fucking sick. And maybe they're keeping me sick. That's why they just keep giving me this medicine. And I'm just staying sick and they're just fucking making money. I started tripping out. Like, so I was like, well, let me see if I be like, you know, all nature and earthy and, you know, Eastern medicine type stuff and, you know, do all these like hocus pocus things and see if I can, you know, drink tea and I won't have a thyroid problem no more. And, you know, fucking go to sleep with a tortilla on my face and rub uh, avocados on my legs or some shit and that'll make it go away. You know, they have all these like weird right. potions. Onions on the bottom of your feet with socks will get a fever away. Yeah. That does work. <laughs> My kids, teething, all, yeah, that's what we did, and that shit worked. Yeah, you just drink a 7-Up, you'll be all right, you know, like, there's all these, like, different things, but the doctor would just, he just shit on me one day, he's like, hey, man, any more of this, you would have died. Mm-mm. You didn't take your medicine, you would have died, that's it. There's no anything but that. You have to take your medicine for the rest of your life. I'm the doctor, you be the patient, I went to school, you didn't. Listen to what I'm telling you. And I was like, okay, you're right. Let's check before it becomes checkmate. Yeah, I just sat down like a big dummy and I was like, fuck, he's right. He is the doctor. He did go to school. I, I didn't do shit. You know, I, I wouldn't want somebody to tell me how to fucking, I wouldn't want a doctor to tell me how to tour manager band or how to take a picture or how to direct a video that they never have. If they're a fucking doctor, they've never been on a set or they never held a camera in their hand or never went and did a, a festival with 100,000 people and their band was the headlining. I wouldn't want them to tell me shit. Like, You're a doctor, homie. Be a doctor. Let me tour manage. You know, Let me take the picture. Let me direct the video. Go be a doctor. Like, so he did that to me. I was like, like you know, I'll just sit my ass down and listen to what this guy That's is right. saying. Cause, you know, He's the master. Yeah, I mean, he put the work in. Exactly. A lot of these youngsters forget that you have to put the work in. You know, everyone always gets caught up that, hey, if I do something bad, I get caught, I go down. What happens if you do something good and put the work in, what are you going to get? You're going to get a reward, motherfucker. Yeah. And you got to remember that. You didn't get everything you wanted and, and more. Come on. What's one thing people got fucked up about film photography versus digital? That it's the same. That's the only thing. There's no, nothing the same about it. Two different worlds. Anybody that that does film will go on that side. They'll tell you, like, if you, especially somebody that's in like a um, that does darkroom shit or developed film or somebody that, like, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's some really good cameras and they they. There's a lot of um, apps. They get you close, like like I shoot a film called Kodak Trix 400. If you go into uh, Lightroom, 
and you buy this program that has every kind of film, and you drag your folder of photos into the Kodak 400 Trix like application in this uh, app that you buy, it'll make all your pictures look like you shot on Kodak 400 Trix. Wow. Look like you did, but you didn't. So it's wow. not, it really isn't that. And then, you know, your hard drive crashes and you're fucked. I'm not fucked. I got all my negatives here. And, you know, I, I, I was talking to a friend of mine and he's, you know, out of town. He's staying with a photographer and he's like, yeah, I go, hey, how's it going over there? He goes, oh, yeah, the homie's blown down. I go, why? Um, their hard drive crashed with all their shit on it. And I go, they didn't back it up? And that's the first thing everybody wants to say. Like, you didn't back your shit up? And I go, oh, well, you're assed out, you know? But it's like, there goes everything that that person's done for the past couple of years, gone. It's over. Right. right. Me, I go on my negative every single day. And I'll be like, hey, scan this, scan that, scan this. You know, and then we have it in, I have a, this G-Ray that's 96 terabytes. Mm. And I have like one folder of video, one folder of photography, and then everything's broken down in there. But, you know, there's nothing like folding negatives and film and contact sheets. And like if you look at um, this book right here, I took, uh, I, I scanned the contact sheets and I put like, like say this is a picture of Nipsey that I used in the book. But right. this is the roll of film that it was on. And you could see like a couple of frames of each photo that I used in the book here on this. You know, there's like, this is this girl. There's four frames of her, or, or a couple, six maybe. There's meth, there's, you know, two frames because that was a different kind of film. Dre, Eminem, you know, all these different things were from the contact sheets that I selected these photos from. So all these books are all made out of film. I make sure I write, uh, you know, all these photos were shot on film. Old mm. school, baby. So everybody knows like that everything that I did in, in the books that I put out are all shot on film. Authentic. I don't know why I just don't want to like, I feel like, you know, I'm, I shoot film, why not just, you know, use what I have from the film shit that I have, you know? That's right. I sure, I sure do have a shitload of digital stuff, you know, now, but uh, I'm, not, I'm not as hyped on it as I am with the film stuff. I think you only adapted because you had to evolve with time, man. You yeah. know, time puts that, technology puts you where hey, it's either it's going to leave you or you're going to grow with it. Yeah. And then the old school ways is how you grow within things to be like, hey, I know how to do this and this is all you know how to do because you're depending on this. Yeah. And then boom, that's where you continue to, you know, be the, the legacy that's behind a lot of what we're inspired to see and watch. Yeah, and then everybody's, you know, everything comes back around. Vinyl came back around. And all the hipsters, you know, get vinyl. They all get film cameras. They all want to do music on analog instruments and 
you know, they, they, they're like, oh, fuck that. We don't need those big 24 track, you know, two inch tape no more. We can do everything right here on the computer. But now people are like, oh, I want to get that old school shit, you know, like, I want I want that, that sound that it has, you know, like, so they go back. Everybody goes back to something, you know, fashion or right. every type of art. History repeats itself. Yeah, it goes back to the old school shit and then, you know, you just throw your little twist on it and that's... That's true. Yeah. What has been your top three moments that you've documented that sticks out to you right now? Uh, for me, I'd say, you know, this picture right here, the early fingers. Um, I would say, uh, I mean, there to me, it's not three photo shoots. It's more like three bodies of work. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, to me, it's like low riding, hip hop, and gangsters. For me, it's the three things that I think that I have that make me, you know? And it's all LA shit. Like everything about me, I try to make about LA, even if it, it's not from LA. Like this book is called This Los Angeles, and it's everything that I've shot in Los Angeles in the past 25 years. Every genre, like there's hip hop, there's low riding, gangsters, girls, celebrities, you know, iconic pictures of LA, like the, the city, downtown, or Watts, Towers, or whatever you know, things that people recognize as L.A. Iconic. So I just try to, you know, always do shit that relates to L.A. And I, like, I didn't realize it at first that I was doing all that, you know. It, I just, like, saw it, like, recently, like, like, everything you do is L.A., L.A., L.A. Like, it's cool because everybody in, in L.A. would be like, yeah, this is ours. This is the homie did this of our city, of our lifestyle, of our culture. And then people that embrace our culture and our lifestyle within these different realms in outside of here, in foreign places, they'll embrace it because they love that LA culture, whether it's you know LA hip hop or low riding or the whole style or whatever. But then I started thinking like, fuck, I gotta branch out, you know, like. I'm, I'm, putting myself in too much of a niche, you know? Mm -hmm. to, You're worldwide. Yeah, I need to get out there. I mean, these books are worldwide, but the, I gotta do more than just LA, you know? I gotta show, cause you know, like, I've been to 56 countries, I gotta show that shit, you know? I gotta right. put it out there. What am I gonna do with it? Just keep it in the file cabinets, you know, for, for who, for me? Right, right. You're like, what am I gonna do? Just hoard all these pictures and just be like, no, I might. You know, I don't want nobody to see them. You know, like, fuck this shit. Get them out. You know, like, it's like DJ Jazzy Jeff said, you gotta die empty. And he's talking about everything that's inside of you, everything that you have built up. Put it out there for people. Yeah. And you know, I that's that's a blessing that one you recognize it, and two you want to exercise it. Yep. I mean, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try and die empty, but. Probably would need another 150 years, you know. On top of 50, I'm gonna try and live now. But uh, you know, I'm uh, I'm trying to, to 
you know, put out as like when people are like, hey, you know, you know, the whole COVID thing, you know, I'm like, I don't want to hide in my house. And, you know, like, I know somebody from my family that's sick right now. And they're the one, one of the safest people I know. They've been the least contact and the least out there. Masks, gloves, sanitizer, six feet, ten feet, you know, all that shit, and they got sick. Mm. So it's like, I'm out there in protests, this, that, the other, you know, and I haven't got sick, you know, but I don't want to get sick and fucking die because I was so scared hiding in the house. Mm. I don't want to be an idiot either and be out there like, you know, ain't nothing wrong because I know this shit is real. But, you know, I, I just want to be out there producing, you know. I don't want to live scared of that shit, you know. Why live in fear? To me, they're, they're saying it's like a flu and shit like that. Well, if it's a flu, I, I've never been as afraid of the flu before. I never was hiding in the house before, and I got sick a gang of times. I got the flu all the time. Fuck out of here, you know. <laughs> like, I've been sick of, I don't even know how many times, but it's like, uh, you know, I just push through that shit, come out on the other side and keep it moving. But, uh, this is the craziest times I've ever, I've ever seen anything like what's going on now, you know. Right. Like the craziest shit I've ever seen, but I can't say it's it's all bad either, you know, because there's been a lot of greatness that's come out of these times. Like, I've had to re, not reinvent myself, but re-figure the way that I was going to work and, and generate an income from my family and firm. Everybody that I'm involved with. Because, you know, if I was just going to be like, well, I can't take pictures no more, so... They don't want me to be around people. I'm just going to kick back in the pad and quarantine, wait till it's over, and I'm not going to do shit. I would have been fucked. Right. And I was like, oh, hell no, fuck that. I'm going to be, I, I need to be out there document. First of all, somebody has to document these times and the crazy shit's going on. It should be a photographer that does that shit. Well, I'm a photographer that does that shit, so. I'm gonna be out there documenting. And if something happens to me, well, if something happens to me. We went to at least like 20 fucking things with the cops, you know, going off on people. We, you know, we all got shot with the um, rubber bullets, the, the tear gas, the flash bombs, like everything that they had, we got shot with it. Hmm. Except, you know, they didn't, they weren't shooting people with bullets yet, but. You know, to me that shit was, that was part of it, you know. Like I went out there to do it, to document it, and I had to get that shit, you know. I had to get shot a couple of times with those things, and, and yeah, all right, this, that, this is what this is about. So, right. like, we got shot, we got pepper sprayed, we got uh, tear gas, and we got flashbangs, and we came out of it, and oh, fuck, like, you know, the homie here got shot in the head, and he was just, soaked in blood and I thought he got shot with you know fucking something crazy you know like there's no way he's bleeding that much from a fucking rubber bullet or fucking thing 
And I was like, God damn, you know. So you know, we, we went to the emergency room and they're like cleaned it up and it was just like a little thing. They say your head and your hands bleed the most and I was like, okay, cool. But you know, those were some of the best experiences of this year. Just going out there and going through all that shit. Every time we'd get shot or they'd shoot the tear gas, we'd get away <laughs> wiping our eyes, rubbing our face, shoes burning, like, fuck, I can't see, just run, because, you know, we didn't want to get stuck, because we thought, like, once they shoot us, we're, everybody's going to be all fucked up, and then they're going to come and handcuff us, so we would just start booking it, can't see where you're going, can't breathe, can't smell, fucking dizzy as fuck, but we get away far enough to where we could clean ourselves back up, and we go right back. That's a bitch, like, we're fucking sick in the head. We're going back into that shit. What's wrong with us? But it was part of it. The purpose. Part of the experience, and we were out there for a reason. And, you know, to, to shed light on what's going on. And it was part of it. It was, it was a good time, you know? As you know, this is the New Year's episode. You know, I had to bring in the New Year the right way, a big way, with an L.A. original. You know, what can you tell the listeners? What do you expect for 2021 for you? For me, I'm just going to double up on everything I did this year. Mm. Like, everything you've seen me do this year was was a little taste of what I'm going to do next year. So everything you saw me coming with, you know, 2020 was a sample of what I got coming in 2021. I don't know. I just feel like I'm just going to... Everybody says beast mode this, beast mode that. Like, I really feel that shit, and um, I feel healthy. I feel way stronger in my head, and I feel healthier now than I felt in the past maybe ten years. So I just feel like I'm just gonna. I just have so much shit that I need to do that I want to do that I'm gonna do, and I just. Get ready, it's, it's coming, you know. Got a lot of good shit coming. I won't let you down, and uh, you're gonna see, you know, you're gonna see at least double what I, what you've seen from me so far coming in this next year. You know, I'm going mm. all out, and uh, I don't see anything. I just don't think negative, you know. I think so, like I think so positive, like the younger cats that I got around me, you know. Like, you know, I'm on them, you know, like, hey, we, we got to do this shit, you know, like, there's other crews out there, and for me, it's like, I don't think I'm better than anybody, or I deserve anything that deserves shit more than what other people are doing, I just see it as, like, friendly competition, and, like, hey, let's just have some fun, and do what we love to do, mm-hmm. and that's what I'm doing, you know, I'm doing shit I love to do, like, like, you know, somebody... Somebody had a little old eat on drugs the other day, and I was talking to somebody else that knew them, and they go, hey, they died doing something they love. And I was like, you're fucking right. Like, they love doing drugs. And they died doing that shit, and like, I love doing this, you know? So this is, if I die doing this shit, and I die doing something I love, you know? Oh, respect, brother. Whew. You know, I definitely want to take this moment before we close out to, you know, one, give the platform to let people know where they can buy the merch, you know, the 
LA original LA fingers, hoodies, shirts, and also where they can buy the books. And then, you know, whatever else you got going on, the platform's yours. I do want to shout out Mr. Cartoon, you know, and, you know, whatever else you want to shout out, the floor is yours, brother. Yeah, I just want to shout out, you know, all my Soul Assassin family. You know, the got a, a sick crew out there coming out with a gang of shit. My boy Alchemist is up for a Grammy with Freddie Gibbs. Yes. You know, that's like, that's top notch right there, you know? your crew's killing it like that, you're just like, man, you know, so proud of it. Like, you're so happy for your for your brother, your family and shit. But just, you know, shout out, you know, to all my crew, all my homies from Soul Assassins, you know, our, uh, my brand, Joker brand, and everything that, you know, we got coming, you know. You got the homie, uh, Baldacci the Beast, you know, he's coming with some shit. The other homies from Third World. Um, you know, those are the, the music we're coming out with. I'm starting a, a book uh, publishing thing for, like, with in association with Drago, that, like, it's kind of like an imprint of mine, you know? They're like the main label, and then I'll have my own little book label. Oh. So I'm starting that. I got a, a, a new artist coming out next year with a book that I'm co-signing. And uh, it's real easy. If you want to find me, just go to Esteban Oriel everything, you know, at Esteban Oriel on IG, uh, Facebook, Snapchat, TikTok, email, like everything, I just make it the easiest for everybody, you know, EstebanOriel.com, if you want to go to my store, it's EstebanOriel.LA, like, it's real simple to find me. Brandon, Brandon's so important, make it easy for people to find you, you know, so that if you want people to buy your stuff, yeah. Gotta make it easy. Yeah, people have like code names and shit for their Instagrams or whatever, and underscores and all this other fucking shit. And like, come on, how the fuck is anybody supposed to find you? Like, you want people to know your shit, right? That's why you're doing it. Yeah. Well, how the fuck are they gonna find you if you have like different ways of spelling shit to where people don't know what to? You know, like, how the fuck are they gonna know? Only you know that. So, you know, make it easier on the people. You know. Are we going to see images on shoes or, you know, are we going to see some type of collab in that way? Um, I did two shoes this past year, but, uh, I mean, who knows? I got, I got a lot of projects coming up um, this next year. We got the 12 Days of Greatness capsule with yeah. Foot Locker going on right now. Yep, that's coming out. You know, we got um, a TV series we're working on, working on an animation project. Um, we just dropped the, the, the vinyl um, soundtrack to LA Originals. You know, there's a black copy and then there's a limited edition blue vinyl. You know, that's my, my first record I ever came out with. I'm, and I'm not a producer or a rapper or a guitar player, so that was kind of cool. And no, you got clearance for some top, top records. Yeah. <laughs> With, if you know anything about music, that ain't easy. Yeah, we got pretty lucky in that. That was cool. So, <laughs> you know, we just got a lot of shit coming out. I, I get, uh, like, I kind of forget the shit that's coming out. And then, on the other hand, I don't like to talk about shit that 
Yeah, hasn't done that yet because in case it doesn't, I don't want to look like an idiot. Like, well, what happened with that? Well, you said you were going to do that and this and that. Like, I'll just show you, you know? That's real. And times come, you know, you get it and it's going to be there. You know, if you notice, my show is different. It's unique. You know, they say that you got to do things like this. I'm like, I'm not going to do things like that, but I'm going to listen to what you're saying and I'm going to apply it that way. And I'm like, well, how do I keep that same energy and close out? The viewers knows it's coming. I'm going to hit you with it. You got any questions for me? Um, well, what's up with that? You brought the, the Snoop Dogg Yellow Blaster. What's up? Oh, no, that's the bump box, Play you know? Gems or what, what uh, with that? You know, bump box is a sponsor of the show. Oh, okay. I interviewed Rob Owens and Trey the Truth, and they fucked with me. Yeah. They let us do a commercial for them. And so I try to get it everywhere, but when you're, you're at Estevan Oriol's spot, you feel me? Them books need to be on this table. We yeah. can shout out Bump Box, we can talk about them, we can shout out Snoop, but these things right here is artifacts. Yeah, yeah. I got I got the cookies one. Uh, I did the, the collab with Burner this year. I did like Burner, Trollo Fifth, Who's Got Wild, Born and Raised, and um, yeah, with cookies, you know, we did the cookies one, I did the Burner, and B-Real album cover, so Burner, Bless Me, all those bump boxes, and that's what we have at the pad, when we're doing the sauna and the workout and shit, we bring that thing out, and uh-huh. we light up the neighborhood with that one, we get everybody going early in the morning and start hearing, like, you know, some 90s hip-hop or some old-school soul, or, you know, we play it all, and give it to them. Mm. Hell yeah, man. It makes my neighbors uncomfortable, too. Yeah. <laughs> On that note, it's Contrast Uncut. It's season four. It is a Spotlight New Year's episode with the L.A. original. You know, I wouldn't be able to do incredibly dope shit with, you know, without the help of Uncle Snoop's Army and Bobby D Presents. I appreciate you, brothers. And I want to make sure we give all the flowers to this brother right here, Esteban Oriol. And what you've been able to give to our world, you've been dropping gems throughout this whole interview. You put so much knowledge and game that, you know, it's, it's probably about a 50 carat diamond that people just got to process sometimes. And it's up to them if they want to drink the water, if they want to allow the diamond, the lights, the glitz to get to them, or if they want to keep on doing what they're doing, and that's fine. Yeah, that's for sure. I appreciate you, brother, for coming yeah, on. Thank, thank you for having me, man. I, 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 uh, I fuck with Snoop and, and Bobby D, you know? Those are both of them, my people. I do a lot of stuff with, uh, with both of those camps, you know? Yeah, no, I humbly appreciate them. Because uh, yeah. they received me, and they understood what I was trying to do. And, you know, they gave me the light to, to keep on moving. Yeah, my boy, my boy Vegas from uh, Bobby D's camp, he promotes everything that, that we do. And, you know, of course, Snoop's down with everything we do. So we're all fam, you know? Mm. Hey, what's up? This is Stevan Oriel. You're tuned in to Contrast Uncut. Yeah. This really reminds me of some... Hey. This really reminds me of some Tribe Core Quest. Hip-hop really taught me to give it all I got left. 
Wu-Tang taught us how to beat the projects And tell my story over beats and it could be a project Look, how it all begun, uh, bum, skibbity bum, yeah Grew up on that Nas, on that L, on that pun Old soul when I was young, crisscross, make him jump Battle rapping for respect, my nigga, this ain't what you want Can I kick it when I'm rhyming? Be a legend through Ebonics, was a sticker boy Felt like sticky fingers, played at Onyx Can I live track 8? Felt like Jigga 96 Without a reasonable doubt, the album turned me into this Should we always have